All right, how many of you get the point of that little video there? The good news is there's no point to that little video. <laughs> it's only used or is only shown to describe to you what is one of the most popular ways of communicating what's going on in someone's life today, a vine. How many of you have heard of a vine before? How many of you have made a vine before? How many of you have been in a vine before? A very small percentage of this congregation. Well, after the service today, we'll all be vine people, right? We'll go out and figure out what it is. It's, it's, it's an application that's one of the most popular apps out in, available to us today. Millions and millions of people downloading and using this way of communicating what's going on in their life. Just giving a snapshot, if you will, about something that's happening or something that has happened. Some of it would be true. Some of it would not necessarily be true. It would be staged. And those were some of the best of Vine's I guess according to some poll, or in some people's opinion, over the last year. A Vine is a six-second video. Now, when I first found out about Vines and first knew that it was six seconds, I thought, I can't get off the couch in six seconds. So that would be my whole video right there. But most of those were, well, I guess all of those, were six-second snapshots into someone's life. Six seconds. Some of it was silly. Some of it was scary. We could do our own and, and really show certain aspects of our family life or our church life or certain pieces of our own personality um, that would allow us just in a very quick moment with a, a very quick picture. I'm having a little technical difficulty here. Let's get this in place. Uh, in, in six seconds, be able to show something that's going on in our life. Six seconds doesn't seem like a lot, does it? Six seconds goes by about like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Well, I'm counting too slow there. It's already gone. There's two or three vines right there. But we like to live by snapshots. We like to see little vines in our life. Catch just a moment or just a glimpse of something that's going on around us. And we think that in those six seconds or just with that quick snapshot, we fully understand everything that's going on. We get the essence or the center of their communication. And if we were honest, we would say that maybe half of the time we do get what's going on there. We do get the point or the communication. But the other half of the time, we just watch like we just did a series of them. We go, I have no idea what I just saw or what it was about, but I laughed. Or maybe I cried. I don't know which was the two, two for you. Vines. It stands for vignette. That's what vine is short for in its professional or in its technical term there. A vignette, a, a small scene of life, something that's meant to capture just a, an image or the short story or version of something. And we see it in dramatic sketches. We'll see it in commercials. We'll see it sometimes when we're just texting someone and we're giving them not every little detail, but just the short version. Sometimes even with acronyms, right? LOL and all the different ones that have come so popular to use these days. Those are vines about what we're thinking or what we have seen or how we're feeling about something that we've just experienced or encountered. Vines are all over the scriptures too. Not just in the New Testament, not just in the lives and the story of Christ, but throughout all the gospel story and, and, and all the, the sacred scripture that we would read or recount this morning, 
we in no way would say that by reading Genesis 1 or, or by reading Matthew 1 or any of the other chapters of the Bible, that by reading that, we get everything we need to understand and know about what has taken place there. There's so much more that the Holy Spirit enlightens us with that's beyond just the words that are there. There's so much more there that, that has to do with context and has to do with, with other characters that we may find in another book of the Bible or another chapter that's coming forward in that particular section of Scripture that gives us a fuller meaning, a deeper meaning that goes beyond just divine. But in those moments, we capture just glimpses of what God is trying to say to us through his word. And we would say, thanks be to God, because just a glimpse of what God's story is is usually or should be enough to change our life and our perspective. Amen? To see God in his holiness in, in, in just a small dose or a small glimpse should capture us away from our need to fulfill our own selfish needs and desires and turn our attentions and our attitudes towards that which God would want and will for our life. Just a short, small vine of what God wants for us should make all the difference. In John chapter 15 this morning, it's convenient that we encounter actually the word vine, although it's not used necessarily in the same way that the video was used or the way that I've been using it to talk about snapshots of the kingdom this morning. Jesus approaches uh, this passage of Scripture, and, and really it's not just John chapter 15, the first eight verses. It's really John chapter 13 through 17. And that's a section of Scripture where Jesus is giving his last words, if you will, to his disciples. We are now several weeks past Resurrection Sunday. We've looked at snapshots or vines of, of what Jesus had said leading up to the time to describe to his disciples who he was and what he was going to do or the way in which he interacted in the world. But in this section of Scripture, John 13 through 17, he is giving those last words, those last stories, in some cases the last commands that he's going to give to his disciples on earth to give them an understanding and give them direction on what they are to do or how they are to react and respond when he's betrayed, when he's crucified, when he's executed, when he's dead, and when he's buried. He's telling them, this is what you need to know, and this is what you need to understand. In this passage of Scripture, we find the Lord's Supper. We find Jesus even talking in this passage of Scripture about the Comforter or the Holy Spirit that will come. But in John chapter 15, he's speaking to them about his relationship that he has with them. He's giving them a personal snapshot, if you will, on how he sees them and how they should see him or understand him and the relationship that they have together as teacher and disciple. So in John chapter 15, he says these words, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, that he, that he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I am the vine, you are the branches. Really, to be correct, he is the vine, we are the branches. 
Jesus is here speaking to them about the way they need to understand, not just in that particular moment, not just in that upper room, but eternally the way in which he sees and understands their relationship as teachers, teacher and disciples, as son of God and children of God. And he uses the analogy of the vine and the branch. We could talk about trees. We could talk about planting particular things in our garden or grapes or any other type of plant. None of us are likely experts or even very advanced or skilled in any of those conversations, although there may be one or two of us in the room that would know something about that. But to know about a vine and a branch and the way things are connected and rooted into something and from that root it grows out. And only as that branch is connected to that vine, to that root, does that branch have life? Does it then bear fruit? Does it grow? Does it do anything? Anytime a, a branch is disconnected or cut off from that vine, from that root, it's dead. It's of no use. Might as well be thrown away. Jesus is saying to them, I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the root Tap into me, and you will have life. Tap into me, and you will have a future. Tap into me, and you will bear fruit. You will do things, good things, wholesome things, worthy things, as you are connected to me. Abide in this relationship. To abide is, is to rest in, to walk in, to journey with. I've heard HFC talk, use this language, to do life together with, right? I've heard the staff here use that, that language. We don't use the word abide quite as often as we may have 100 years ago or several thousand years ago when Jesus used that word. So our, our connection there is to abide in, to walk in, to rest in, to journey with, to remain in. It's not that different than some of the language that we would use when we're doing a covenant of marriage or even a covenant of membership to this church, or a covenant of baptism, suggesting that, that we are making an, uh, giving an outward sign of something internally working within us, that, that we are not just going to make this a moment in time or an experience, but we are going to walk it out in this covenant or in this relationship or in this commitment. It's important that they hear these words from Jesus because he knows that the time is coming when they will be scattered. It might have been interesting to ask them or remind them of these words in their scattering, if you will. Jesus says, abide in me, and they scatter, right? He didn't say abide in each other, abide in me. So even in their scattering, even in their running while he's been betrayed and he's waiting to be crucified, and they're in their different places, and some of them are, are denying him, and some of them are hiding, hoping that they aren't arrested or captured, and some of them are probably running from the hills. Yet, somewhere deep inside of them, they're abiding in him, resting in him. Not necessarily in his physical presence, but saying, Oh, Jesus, I hope you are who you said you were. I hope that you can do the things that I saw you do. I hope that you can do them again, because right now things are in trouble. Separated, disconnected physically, but abiding in him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, and you can bear 
much fruit. You can, do, uh, you can make much fruit in your life and through your life. Well, what is Jesus really meaning when he's using these words and he's, 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 he's teaching them these things? He's saying God's grace in our life is intended for kingdom living and loving. I'm using the words living and loving there intentional because it's more often or more common for us to use the words faith and works. Now, I don't think it's wrong or erroneous to use faith and works. It's just that Oftentimes, we will find ourselves debating on which is the most important. Is it our faith or is it our works? Well, Debbie read a passage of Scripture this morning, and I didn't plan it for her to read, but I'm glad she did, from Ephesians chapter 2, which is central to the Protestant movement in this world, that we are saved not by our works, but by the grace of God through our faith in Him. And that's absolutely, completely, 155% correct. We do nothing, we can do nothing, we have nothing that saves us from our sins. God gives salvation to us full and free. We just believe it. And by believing it, that's not an instruction for us to, to have an intellectual assent there or to build our knowledge bank. To believe in the grace of God means that we've accepted it down in the depths of our soul into our life and we've repented of our own sins and our own need to be king in our lives and we've turned away from ourselves and towards God. That is what faith means. That's, that's life in Christ. We also would say that once we are saved and as we are saved, God doesn't call us just to rest in that knowledge but to act on that knowledge and to do good things good deeds, good works. So faith and works really aren't in competition. They're compatible with each other, right? I've used the words here, living and loving, and I think this connects very well to the way Jesus is using the vine and the branch metaphor for us in 15. Abide in me, and you can do many things. You can bear much fruit. So in other words, As you abide, as you believe in and journey with me, then fruit is produced through your life and through the way that you love other people. Abide in me. If you don't abide in me, he gives the he doesn't leave it for us to question or 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 be confused about. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will be nothing. In fact, I I really would prefer that to be the translation, not you will do nothing, but you will be nothing. That's powerful. Then Jesus is saying here that grace in our life is intended for kingdom living and loving. We don't just read about the snapshots of God's grace in this world. We become or we enact the snapshots in our life, in our church, in our community as people who believe and have turned from our sins and turned towards God and walk in grace, faith, and holiness with him. He's saying here that our service of faith and works is made fruitful by Christ as we abide in him, resting, journeying with, doing life in Christ. I've, I've often, maybe always thought, it's really hard for us to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ or to walk with Christ. Christ has never shown up with me to walk into school on the first day wearing Nikes and Levi's or whatever I was wearing to school when I was scared to death. Nor has he been with me to walk in to my worst day of work 
a day full of meetings and phone calls. Nor has he been physically with me when I have faced some other tough challenges or situations. And you would say the same thing. So for us to think and talk about abiding with and walking with and resting in and journeying with Christ and doing life with him is somewhat of a strange thing because our best friends in this world aren't imaginary people. Okay, maybe some of us have an imaginary friend that is our best friend, but that's not the common experience, right? Not judging, just saying. We want to be able to touch, to hug, to look at, to call, to text, to greet, to be with that person who we trust and we, we journey life with and do life together with. And that's just simply not an option with Jesus. Now, spiritually, we would say, of course, he's with us when we walk into that classroom, we walk into that job, we walk into those difficult times, but, but it's just us, right? We are that physical person. To, to abide in Christ is, is something of, of a difficult or a challenging thing for us to come to understand, especially early on in the faith walk with Christ. We have to figure out how do we have a relationship with this one that we can't see or talk to or, or text. Well, faith picks that up. And through searching scriptures and through sitting in worship and through prayer and through stepping out in faith and through just a, a variety of spiritual exercises, we get this overwhelming sense that we are never, ever, ever alone. That by the grace of God, not only do we believe that we can receive salvation, but salvation has come not to live around us, but to live within us and to walk beside us. And in some cases, to carry us along into the job or the school or the hospital room or the most difficult, dark days of our life. And while we think we are abiding in Christ Jesus, and we are, it's he that is really carrying us through those moments. Uh, by the way, I, I, I use descriptions of difficult or challenging things, things that bring fear to us, but the same could be said and true about those victorious days, those days when everything goes perfect and our hair parts just right and our, uh, the, our favorite outfit is clean and pressed and ready to go and everything, they pick where we want to eat lunch at, they, that's where they pick and we get to go there and someone else picks up the tab and it's just a great day. Jesus is with us, abiding and carrying us along, even in those moments, although we're not as likely to recognize it in those moments, are we? Because we're not as likely to cry out or call out to him, Lord Jesus, help me. So Jesus is saying here that life in him is, is a call to, to live a life and abide in him and to rest in him and to, to acknowledge that our life, if it is to have any meaning whatsoever or bear any fruit whatsoever, it's going to come as we journey with, walk with, rest in his presence and his power in our life because apart from him, we can do nothing. We will become nothing. And Jesus is saying here that our lack of service and faith and our lack of Service in good works is a waste of the grace of God and rejection of the kingdom that he's building. He leaves the option open for us. He's going to be the vine. He's inviting or calling us to be the branch. You don't have to be. 
You don't have to embrace that role to be connected to the root that is life. If we do and we abide in him, we bear much fruit. If we don't, we are rejecting him and his kingdom and choosing to live life on our own. His language isn't quite that clear and strong, but let my language be as clearly as it possibly can be. When we reject Christ, we reject everything that God has willed and wanted to us from the foundation of the earth. When we reject Christ and his kingdom, we are rejecting all of the things, all of the plans, all of the hopes that God has to redeem this world. When we reject life in the vine or connection to the root that God has driven into the earth for salvation, we are saying, I know better than you or I can handle this better than you can, God. Let me take this on my own. And he says, okay. He already knows the outcome of what that's going to be like. But he says, nonetheless, okay. My son is the vine. You can, and I hope you will be, a branch off of that vine. And that you will abide in him and bear much fruit through your life as you live and you love and you work in service of the kingdom of God all over God's green earth from the time you hear the story of salvation until the time you open your eyes in fulfillment of the presence of God. But if you don't, your life will be worth nothing and you will be like those branches that are gathered up and bundled and burned in the fire. Jesus' words here are very clear. He is who he says he is, and he wants and calls us to be who he has offered and provided for us to become. Fruit-bearing, life-giving, love-sharing vines, or vignettes, if you will, of the kingdom of God in this room and outside of this room and everywhere that we go. Spiritual fruit, then, is evident, it would be correct to say this, in both our heart and our hands, both in us and through us. So as Jesus talks about being in the vine and being the branches and bearing fruit, what is he really saying to us? What does he really mean by that? He's saying to us that this fruit that he is calling us or preparing to send through us is both in our heart and in our hands. It's both in us and through us. Now, I, I don't know if that's as, as clear or, or as it seems to me or simple as it seems to me, so, so I searched the Scriptures a little bit further to give us some, some further text that might draw this out, what heart and hands might look like, not in competition with each other, but complementing each other. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24, the Apostle Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, there's, there's two lists there of evil things and good things, of sinful things and of righteous things. And every time I read that, whether it's a silent or I read it out loud uh, in public in a sermon or in other type of setting, as I'm reading through that, I'm wanting to get as quickly as I possibly can through the, that first section that's talking about all the sinful things because I rec- re- realize and recognize that this world is full of all of those things and much more. And I recognize that those are the threats on my life, on my faith, on my family, and on my children, on their faith, on this church, and the children of this church, and their faith, on all of us in our faith. Those are the things that come most clearly to us, opposing the kingdom of God and presenting to us sinful options, if you will, on choices or paths we could go down. And in most cases, the vines of this world says, this is what it means to be cool, and this is what you do if you are cool. And I read that list, and I want to get as quickly through it as I can because I want none of that in my life. And I want none of it for my children or your children or for you. Then I get to the the second section there in this list where it talks about love and joy and peace, and I find myself wanting to slow down and really rest on those words. I think it might be because those are words that we believe in, And words that we acknowledge to be essential, not just characteristics of the Christian life, but good things and good values to have just in general. But we don't often use those words. Maybe we'll use love or peace in times when it's convenient or it fits the conversation. But to really linger in and rest on those words, in some ways those words can be strange to us. Especially if you drive in Houston and you read the word self-control. Or you deal with teenagers and you read the word gentle. Or you do your taxes last month and you think of joy or peace. Right? They can be strange, almost antiquated words for us. But they are the words of God and the way God describes the way the believer, he or she, experience and display fruit in their life as they are connected to this vine. It's appropriate to say that the one who is abiding in Christ and bearing fruit is full of joy and love and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Now, now don't get worried because there's not a test on how many of those things are evident in your life today, and no one's going to testify against you in court about those, that you got seven out of nine or three out of nine. I I do believe that that in some cases, some of those fruits that are talked about there are more natural for some of us than they are for others. But nowhere in Scripture do I find an excuse to say, well, Garen, if you can do love good, you don't have to worry about peace. If you can do faithfulness good, don't worry about self-control. The promise there is that this is the fruit that is born from the one who walks with Christ and whose heart is full of the things of God. And these are the things that not I can put inside of me, but that God, listen to this, has put inside of us. All of these things that are on that portion of this list are things 
that the Holy Spirit has already implanted inside of us because this is a description of the grace of God let loose in this world. So these things are inside of us right now. They're not always evident, but they're there. Should I just preach there for a while? Because that's really a side point to what I'm going to say, but it's really quiet right now. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control are the things that God wants and wills for your life and for my life. And the Holy Spirit is placed within us to display fruit as we abide in him so that the world is, no longer, is in no way impressed with our commitment or our faith. But the world says, look at him. Look at her. God has changed their life in such a dramatic and powerful way that only God could have done that because I knew them before. That's the fruit of the Spirit let loose in our life. Well, I'm going to go on there. I'll preach another day on that if I, if I need to. But I asked a group to help me this week figure out who in this church is most likely, not most likely, uh, who in this church most easily displays elements of this fruit. And so I'm going to pop up some, some of the people here um, on the passage. So can I look through? I'm going to look through here. Let's just pop these up, Danny. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. John Snyder. The fruit of the Spirit of patience. Jack McEwen and Celeste Cabio? Caballo. Hey, by the way, if I call your name, would you stand up? I don't think John's here this morning. Are the other two here? Jack's here. Okay, all right. Just remain standing. Uh, the fruit of the spirit of kindness, Natalie and Terry. The fruit of the spirit of goodness, oh, I'm sorry, gentleness, All right? The fruit of the spirit of goodness, Jamie and Cindy and Lonnie. Fruit of the spirit of joy, Kathy, Fareed, and Gabby. Fruit of the Spirit of love, Lena. Fruit of the Spirit of faithful, Diane and Sherry, the Platters. Fruit of the Spirit of self-control, Dana and Lynn. You guys all standing? Stay, stay standing just for a second, just for a second. I, I want you to know, I, I, like I said, I asked a group in the church, I surveyed them to say, who do you think of when you think of this word? And this is the collection of those names. So that in no way says these are the only people that are loving and joyful and peaceful and self-control, right? These are just the ones who it's easy to see it within them. So I want everybody else in the room to stand up. These are the people who God, through the Holy Spirit, has put these elements inside of us. They're to, be, they're to bear fruit as we abide in him. So that we don't just have nine unique people or nine unique couples of people standing to display this, but all of us, by the grace of God, can be these things. 
And that is the will of God in giving this gift to us. Amen? Abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, we can do much. That's what the scripture says, right? All right, be seated. So abiding in Christ in this passage can mean or, or does mean that, that we have this fruit that is displayed through our heart or through our, our, our lives. But it also means that there's a fruit that is born or displayed through our works, if you will. So Romans chapter 12 says, For as in one body we may have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, remember again, these are not in competition with each other. The fruit of the Spirit that works inside of us and the gift of God to work inside the church and the kingdom of God that works through us, right? You understand that? This is a list that the Apostle Paul gives to us that some are called or gifted to be teachers, to be shepherds, to be encouragers. There's one up there that says to just be generous, right? I would like to suggest to us that that's likely a gift that every one of us in this room has, whether we want to admit it or not. God has gifted us, wants us to be generous. We just have to act on that gift. And you can pray about that later in your private prayer closet if you'd like to, because that's likely a hard gift for us to accept, because that means if we're generous, we are giving away something that we may have had plans for ourselves. Not just money, but time and talents and other things. We are gifted to be generous with the gifts and the things God has given us. We should exercise that spiritual gift at every opportunity, right? There are some, though, that, that are on this list that it doesn't fit quite so cleanly. And I would call these people kind of connectors. They're gifted to be connectors, not just for introduction purposes, but, that, but to connect on a deeper level. Probably about 10 or 11 years ago, I, I first met Jack McGinnis in a parking lot over at Calvary Church of Nazarene. I think you were going by Blacktop Jack then, which I thought was an awesome name. And Jack helped our church resurface our parking lot and, and did a great job and, and enjoyed that time and just, just a few moments of fellowship with him over that, that process met and had seen him at other district functions, but, but just not all that often in different things. And I thought, he's a neat guy, probably the kind of guy I would like to pastor. Well, then three years ago almost, we come here and we meet Mary pretty quick, right? And I realized that while Jack was kind of cool, Mary was really cool. <laughs> and like most of us dudes that have any sense of coolness in us, there's someone else that's helping us with that coolness. And Jack, like myself and others, are made to look much better and made to seem much cooler because of the one we're connected to. So I thought they were cool. Jack helped me with blacktop. Mary helped with a whole lot of other things and just were nice people. And then I started listening to people in this church talk about the impact Jack and Mary have had in their lives over the years. And I just kind of listened because when someone says they've had impact, usually it's because someone's had authority over them. 
But I've never heard anyone say or testify in any way that Jack and Mary had authority over them and made them do something. It's that Jack and Mary were their teachers, their mentors, their friends. They're people to turn to in difficult times. And I just kind of kept listening and kind of a consistent testimony. So Jack and Mary stand up. So I've been talking with Jack and Mary about this through email, really, for a week or so. And so um, they really don't know what's going to happen here. And I really don't either. So we'll just see how this works out. <laughs> but I asked them about what they thought of when, when they heard the line or they read the scripture bearing fruit. And Mary gives this two-page answer and Jack gives two paragraphs. <laughs> Again, another dude trait. So good job, Jack. And, and both of them... Really, even Jack and his short, his brevity and, and, and Mary and, and her lengthiness, both of them really nailed everything I've been trying to say this morning. Almost so that I could have really just kind of read your letter and that would have been a good sermon. But I was more interested not necessarily in their opinion or their, or their interpretation of this text in John chapter 15, but to hear the people that they could remember and that they knew had had been connected to them or they had connected to this church over the years. So this is what I'd like to do. If you came into Houston First Church under a teaching ministry or a mentoring ministry of Jack and or Mary, I want you to stand right now. And if you didn't come in directly under a teaching ministry or, or a mentoring ministry, if, if, you, if they witnessed to you and that's what drew you to this church, right, you can stand too because that fits kind of the same thing. So and my suspicion is there's people in the other parts of this building that would, that would stand in this time. In fact, I'm sure there are people in other parts of this building that would stand in this same question. So a significant piece or portion of this congregation. These two, you've never pastored a church, I don't think, right? Yeah. Never been to seminary? Right? Right? Yeah. Uh, that's probably good for you, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I don't say that in a, in a disrespectful way because I know that you two are very connected and embedded in, in the Word of God. And so I say that with all respect. And sometimes the best way to Speak theology is to live it, and you two certainly do that in a very effective and powerful way. So, so you've got these people that are standing that came in through a teaching ministry, through a connecting ministry of Jack and Mary. Okay, so now li- listen to the next step. If you're in the church and you right now are being led by or taught by or connected by someone that's standing in the room, not just Jack and Mary, but anybody that's standing, I want you to stand. Jack and Mary have been involved in Sunday school and in mentoring ministry and youth ministry and worship ministry and children's ministry and office ministry, you know, a whole variety, and blacktop ministry, a whole lot of different things, right? And so I suspect that, again, if we were to go outside of this room and, and ask the same question to people in the hallways or people in the nurseries, there'd be people that would stand for this. We're probably close to a third of the people in this room impacted and connected through the ministry of Jack and Mary. Okay, you guys can be seated. The point of that is to say that while this passage says God calls some of us to teach and some of us to shepherd and some of us to, this isn't the 
full list of all the giftings that God gives us to use in a public way for God to work or display the work of God that's through us, right? It would have been very easy for me to have had Pastor Matt or Pastor Michelle or some of the other pastors stand, and, and we could have easily talked about their impact and connection on people's lives. But there are people that walk in and out of this church every Sunday, maybe more than just every Sunday, and, and they are just as active and involved at working in the lives of people all over the city as the pastors are here. Their gifting is different, but God is working in the same way through them to bear fruit in the lives and for the life of this congregation to be a vignette of the kingdom of God, a snapshot of the kingdom of God. Not just Jack and Mary, but people all over this room, gifted and put in places and positions where God can use them to display his kindness and his glory and his power and to preach salvation to the captive all over the city. And that is the way God is working in our lives. To be connected to the true vine, to be a branch of God, to be one who abides in and walks with Jesus Christ, to be one who bears fruit or allows God to bear fruit through us in our lives, is to be someone who walks humbly and faithfully, bearing the fruit of God in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, and through our lives as those who are gifted of God to use our talents and our giftings and our passions, whether it's in the sound booth or in our practice outside of the church or in the nursery or in a preaching ministry or any other capacity to use the gifts that God has given us, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Not so that the church would have enough volunteers and enough people in places to serve and to fill out all of the roles that we need, but so that the spiritual gifting that God has given us would not go to waste, but would be used fully, would mature fully for the glory of God in this world and in our community and in this church. In Simply Christian, N.T. Wright says this, and it's probably one of my favorite quotes these days. He says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. So the snapshots of the kingdom that we have heard preached through this series and we will preach throughout other series is, is simply saying that we're, we are living in our faith in Christ, connected to him as the true vine. Heaven and earth is meeting in that place right there. For our faith in him is rooted in eternal things that is for us and not against us. That is working in us so that it may work its way out through us. So that the evidence of the things that Christ came to say and do and die for is true not just in his era and not just in the early times of the church, but in this era and in this church and in our lives and in our world. Here are the faith questions. Where and when in your life have you been fruitful? Think about that for a second. Where and when in your life have you displayed the fruit of God? And likewise, where and when have you been fruitless? It's possible that there are, have been times in our life when we we used to would say was on fire for God, right? I think it maybe is more scriptural to say when we were bearing the fruit that God has put inside of us. 
both internally and externally, both in our heart and with our hands. There were likely times when we were just full of the fruit of God just bearing through us. And there may be times in our life, and maybe it's right now for some of us, that we would say if we were honest, God's not doing anything through me. And it's not because God doesn't want to. And it's not because likely God's not trying to. It's because we won't have any of it. And so we're not fruitful. We are fruitless. Can I tell you with all authority by the church of God and the Holy Scriptures that the lives that we displayed this morning by standing, whether it was Jack or Mary or some of the others, are not unique things in the family of God. They are simply examples. They are not exceptions to the things God can do. They are the things God wants and wills to do in your life and in my life. Not for a week or a month or inside of this church just in this time, but day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, God wants to bear fruit in your life in my life, as we abide in him and trust in him and walk in him to do his work in our lives, a vignette of the kingdom is born clearly and beautifully through us. When God thinks of fruit, he's not thinking of fruit basket turnover. I got a wonderful fruit picture. He's not thinking of that, no He's thinking of this. Those who gather to declare their desire to be worshiping people of God bearing fruit and those who disperse to serve the least and the lost. Those who abide in Christ and in each other and those who abide with him even in the streets where it's dangerous and it's difficult. Those whose fruit is born and evident in the lives of those who gather around them at church on Sunday and during the week in the same way that it's evident as the hungry is fed and the sick is healed. May this be true in our life and in our church and in our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and for your love for us. We thank you for the way in which you come upon us and speak to us gently and sometimes convincingly through your word. I pray that no man, that no woman this morning would have sat empty at the words of your son, our Lord. And that if they heard maybe for the first time in their lives these words, I am the vine and you are the branches, Lord, may, they, may it have been an invitation for them to turn towards him and trust in him for salvation full and free. If these aren't new words, if they're old words, may they come upon us in a new way so that we may abide in you, that we may pick up the things that your word promises to us as possibilities, and may we allow you to display them fully and powerfully through us, first for our own life and faith, and secondly, Lord, for others, so that many may be drawn to the cross of Christ and find their lives changed and transformed forever. May we be a people living in our gifted, 
and loving in the fruit that you've borne within us. In your name we pray.